I want to thank you for listening today. If you have not subscribed to our podcast, please do so and feel free to rate and review us as well. If you live nearby and do not have a church home, we would love for you to come visit us here at Fellowship Bible Church in Jacksonville, Texas. You can connect with us by calling or texting CONNECT to 903-586-6520. If you would like to support the ministry here at Fellowship Bible Church, we would greatly appreciate that as well. To give one time or on a regular basis, you can text GIVE to 903 903- 586-6520. If you live a ways away, we hope you would find a good Bible-believing and preaching church in your area to join and serve in and support. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you have a great week. What are the qualities you look for in a leader? Someone who is strong, Smart, charismatic, someone who's a a gifted communicator, someone who's proven, experienced, ethical, someone who's tough. Many of us have been led by some great leaders and some not so great, right? Our churches in general have had some faithful and fruitful shepherds and some not so. Some moved into leadership positions with high expectations and they met and even exceeded those expectations while others sadly did not. But regardless of whether one is a good leader or not, a success or a failure, every leader has one thing in common. Their role in leadership will eventually end. Either in relocation, termination, resignation, or even in death. If you have your Bibles, turn to Judges chapter 3. We are continuing our study through the book of Judges. And today we start the second section of the book after the, the introduction, which is the heart of the book that focuses in on stories of the leaders of God's people during the period of the Judges. We have spent the first three weeks in chapters 1 and 2 focusing on the the introduction in the book, and today we begin focusing on the Judges for which this book is named. And while the Judges in our story today, this morning, are, are some of the best in the book, and are used by God to provide rescue and relief and peace and calm to God's people who are surrounded by enemies and animosity, their leadership is only for a moment, only for a time it comes to an end. What God's people failed to realize in Judges and even later in the period of the Kings and a lesson we forget and must learn and relearn today is this. While God providentially uses leaders for His purposes and for the good of His people, God's people are ultimately in need of God to lead them. Folks, good leaders come and go. While God gives certain individuals and uses them for our benefit, their time as a leader will eventually end. Our wagon must not ultimately be hitched to any one person. There was a huge church led by a faithful shepherd for over 40 years. 
After he retired, the church brought in another godly leader, but not the caliber of, of the previous preacher. So folks began to leave by the hundreds. A classic example of people having their joy hitched to the wrong wagon. We must follow God's appointed men, submit to their lead, but our first allegiance is to be to God. We must be devoted to Him. Our joy must be found in Him. Our lives must ultimately be submitted to Him. We're in need of the Lord to lead us. I pray you learn that lesson this morning and throughout our study of the book of Judges. Judges 3, we're going to be covering the tiny passage of uh, verses 7 through 31 this morning. <laughs> Buckle up. Next week, we're covering both chapters 4 and 5, okay? Longest section of Scripture I've ever covered. So pray for me this week in prep time. Pray for yourselves. Drink plenty of coffee and, and come in ready to go, all right? With Bible and pen in hand. As we've learned already... The book begins with the death of an important leader, right? The death of Joshua. After being led by Moses out of Egypt and toward the land of promise, Moses dies. Joshua steps in to lead God's people the rest of the way. And when Joshua dies, God's people are leaderless. They, they trusted in Joshua to lead them. They faithfully followed Joshua, but the generation to follow failed to follow God's lead and to trust in him to push back and drive out their enemies. They made compromise after compromise. They failed to obey the Lord completely. They allowed the Canaanites to remain in the land. God said, push them out. I'm going to push them out through you. They failed to do that. God's people will be influenced by them religiously and morally. They, they intermarry with the Canaanites. They will eventually be ruled by them and they will become like them. That's where God's people are headed in this book. But while the tone is dark in Judges, there are tons of lessons for us to learn from God's people's failure and from His work providentially through their leaders. Again, the, the lesson here is that people need the Lord to lead them. People need the Lord to lead them. There are several reasons given for this. First is this, people need the Lord to lead them because their sin is great. We need the Lord to lead us because we're sinners. Look at verse 7 of Judges 3. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Get used to that. You're going to hear it a lot. They forgot the Lord their God. They served Baals, the Baals and the Asherah. Skip down to verse 12. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Here on two separate occasions, we're told God's people did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They did evil, verse 7. And then again, did what was evil. In verse 7, we're told they forgot the Lord and served the gods and goddesses of the Canaanites. These popular pagan beliefs and godless sexually immoral practices were appealing to the Israelites. And as a result, they gave themselves over to those beliefs and practices and did evil in the sight of God. Now, we have said already that while idolatry like this is a bit foreign to us. Believe it or not, we are more like these people than we care to admit. 
We too are easily duped into believing the lies that come from our world that say there is happiness to be had in life and it's found in this or in that, in created things rather than Creator God. We believe there is happiness to be, to be had in the idols of this world. We're easily lured away by the immorality we witness in our world that our flesh believes brings pleasure and true happiness. In Judges 7, when it says they forgot the Lord, that word forgot does not mean they failed to remember who God was and, and the stories of His great work of redemption. It just means they stopped acting upon what they had been told about Him. In Scripture, when it says God remembered their sin no more, doesn't mean He forgot. He just chooses not to act upon what He knows because He is a God of mercy and grace and love. Same, same idea here. So, to say the Israelites forgot God is to say they were no longer being controlled by, led by what they knew about Him. Have you forgotten God? Maybe you've grown up in the church, you've heard stories from Scripture about His personal work, but you're not acting upon, you're not being led by what you know. You, you believe and trust more in what the world has to say than re- rather than what God has said. In his word, and your faith and trust is not in him. If this is you, I pray God by his grace, through his spirit, in accordance with his word, bring you to the end of yourselves today and show you the error of this way and the glory of God's way and lead you away from that path that leads to death, that path of destruction, and turn you onto the path of life through his son Jesus. We like the Israelites, we drift continuously, and we're in constant need of revival, believers, from God. We need it. We need to be reminded of these truths about Him, which were at one time vibrant and real. Maybe they become dull and uninspiring to you today. It was Timothy Keller who said this, look at this quote, Our hearts are like a bucket of water on a very cold day. They will freeze over unless we regularly smash the ice that is forming. Though we know truths about God, we can very easily lose the sense upon our hearts of their reality. We know them, but we don't taste or see or feel them. Therefore, other things, idols, become more real to our hearts, and we serve them instead. What's the remedy? The remedy, according to Keller, is to reverse our heart forgetting. In other words, remember. Remember God's person and work. It must be the central focus of our hearts and lives. We must fill ourselves up with more and more of God. We must be devoted to the study of His Word. We must be committed to sit under the preaching and teaching of His Word. We must commune with Him regularly in time spent in His Word and in prayer. We must preach the truths of God to ourselves until our hearts believe it. We must be disciplined for the purpose of godliness. We must make it a regular practice to smash the ice forming around our sinful hearts. 
We must regularly express our great need of God's grace to be who He has called us to be. We must believe in faith that God will give us the grace we need to live for Him. Because our sin is great, we are in need of the great grace, the great word, the great leadership of our great God to live great lives for Him and for His glory. That's what we need. People need the Lord to lead them because their sin is great. Also because His wrath is severe. Look at verse 7 again. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asheroth. Therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and He sold them into the hand of Cushan Shathame, king of Mesopotamia. And the people of Israel served Cushan Shathame eight years. Skip down to verse 12. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He gathered to himself the Ammonites and the Amalekites and went and defeated Israel. And they took possession of the city of Palms. And the people of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. So notice here, twice we are told that the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord punished them for it. How did He punish them? He used their enemies as instruments of His judgment. Notice God's hand in the punishment of His people. We're going to see this again and again. We're told the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and He sold them into the hand of Cushan Rishathim. Verse 12, the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel, while the Mesopotamians and the Moabites were to blame for their wicked treatment of God's people. God is very much using these wicked nations as instruments of His wrath to carry out His judgment. Cushan was a wicked leader. Rishathim is a nickname for him. You know what it means? Double wickedness. He's not just wicked, he's doubly wicked. And Eglon, the fat king of the Moabites, that's in scripture, I'm not being mean. He's also used as an instrument of judgment. God is working in this way. Here, but it's not unique. Here, God works in this way throughout the book of Judges and all throughout the word of God. In both Testaments, old and new. We learn here that sin angers God. He takes sin seriously. He deals with sin severely. And at times, the way He deals with sin in the lives of His people is by using their enemies as His instruments of judgment. They're not off the hook, though. He'll, he'll judge them as well and punish them. But folks, this right here is good reason for you and me to express our great need for the Lord to lead us. God is the author of history. He is the sovereign of the world. He is, he is the sovereign to such an extent that He uses powerful enemies as pawns in His hand. The most wicked rulers are pawns in the plan and in the hands of God. How about that? We need to follow Him. Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Don't fret when evil men step into positions of power. God is sovereign. 
That's how our, God's, that's how our God works. Kings are pawns in His hand. While they exert their will and are responsible for the wicked things they do, God works in and through them, using them for His purposes. Why wouldn't you want to follow a God like that? Why wouldn't you want Him to lead you? Next point. People need the Lord to lead them because God's grace is amazing. Let's first look at the salvation He provides for His people through Othniel. Pick up reading with me, Judges chapter 3, verse 9. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel who saved them, Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him, and he judged Israel. He went out to war, and the Lord gave Cushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand. And his hand prevailed over Cushan Rishathaim, so the land had rest forty years. We have said that God's judgment is His mercy. We certainly see that here. His people, Israel, did what was evil in His sight, forgot the Lord, served the gods and goddesses of the Canaanites, so the Lord was angry with them, sold them into the hand of their enemy, the king of Mesopotamia, and instead of the Lord just, just leaving His people alone in their wickedness, he, 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 letting them prosper, He punishes them and He enslaves them until they cry out to Him. That's grace. They cry out to him in their misery, and he responds by sending a familiar judge from Judah, Othniel, the nephew of Caleb, the husband of his daughter, the leader of Judah who in chapter 1 led God's people to victory over another group, Kiriath-Safer, right? Over another wicked leader in, in, in his, his army. Othniel looked the part. Of all the judges, he most looked the part. He's in Caleb's family, right? He's, he's from the tribe of kings, from the tribe of, of, of Judah. He's probably the closest thing we get to a Moses or a Joshua in Judges. He was impressive. He looked apart. After crying out to the Lord, the Lord graciously sent them his best judge to deliver his people and bring rest for 40 years. Think about that. They deserve 40 years of judgment for their wickedness. God gives them eight. In return, he gives them what they come nowhere close to deserving. Forty years of peace. Grace. This is five times as long as the punishment God brings. Our God is a God of grace. When we truly repent, when we turn from our wicked ways and, and look to Him, He brings, and we trust in Him, trust in His Son for salvation, he brings renewal and restoration. He shows unmerited and undeserved favor in ways no one else has. It's amazing when you look at it. Many have argued that, that God is presented in two ways in Scripture. God of the Old Testament, a, an angry God of wrath. The God of the New Testament, a God of mercy, grace, and love. No. He's a God of wrath and judgment. And a God of mercy and grace and love from Genesis to Revelation. He's the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. I would argue that in the book of Judges, while God's judgment against His wicked people is often what's emphasized, it's His grace that shines through in this book. Well, while Othniel seems to most resemble what a Savior 
for Israel was to look like, God also used unlikely and more obscure men to deliver his people as well. He used a left-handed Benjaminite and an unknown foreigner as instruments for his purposes. Let's first talk about Ehud. We're told after God's people, Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. The Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel. The people of Israel served Eglon 18 years. So notice God's judgment is increasing, right? It goes from 8, he more than doubles it, to, to 18 years. His judgment's getting more and more severe. Eglon was the king of the Moabites, longtime enemies of Israel. He also joined with neighboring enemies, the Ammonites and the Amalekites, to defeat them. Quick history lesson. The Moabites had a scandalous beginning. After barely escaping, the wrath of God brought down on Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot and his daughters fled to a cave in the mountains of Zoar. Remember, his wife didn't make it. Long story short, fearing they would be childless, Lot's daughters get their father drunk and they lay with him. And the oldest have a son from that ungodly union named Moab. And the younger has a son, Loami. And from these two come these two wicked nations. Two groups spawned from incest. They were great enemies of God's people. In the period of the judges, these two nations, Moab and, and Ammon, repeatedly try and defeat Israel. God uses the king of the Moabites, Eglon, here to enslave his people. They then cry out to him, and God delivers them by the hand of an unlikely judge, an unusual savior, a man from Benjamin, named Ehud. Look at verse 15. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and the Lord raised up for them a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjaminite, a left-handed man. Now this is unique. Ehud, unlike Othniel, was an unlikely de deliverer of, of God's people. He was from the tribe of Benjamin, and he was left-handed. Now we don't think much of that in, in our day. We have a lefty in our house our youngest, and we think it's a, a cute, quirky, unique feature about her. But things were different in, in this day. Using your left hand was not encouraged, it was discouraged. Some argue that Ehud might have been disabled in his right hand and was forced to use his left. We don't know that for sure, but God is going to use this feature to deliver his people. We have said in the past that God's providence is unique. It's surprising sometimes the way in which he works and the way he's ordered things. We certainly see that here. God calls and uses unlikely people, works through unusual circumstances to accomplish his purposes and to show he is in control. Let's keep reading. Verses 15 and 16. The people of Israel sent tribute by him, by Ehud, to Eglon, the king of Moab. And Ehud made for himself a sword with two edges a cubit in length, and he bound it on his right thigh under his clothes. These details are important. 
Don't just pass over them. We're going to witness here the providence of God in delivering his people. God's people, Israel, were enslaved to the Moabites. And so Ehud, a Benjaminite, is sent along with others to give tribute to Eglon. And he has other plans for this king when entering into his presence. He makes for himself a sword with a double edge, which is significant. A sword like that would be able to effectively penetrate his enemy. And the fact that that Ehud was a southpaw, a lefty, was also significant because he hid the sword under his right thigh instead of his left thigh, which is why he was able to slip that weapon past the guard of the king. They weren't looking for a left-handed assassin. Okay? Verse 17. And he presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now, Eglon was a very fat man. And when Ehud had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who carried the tribute, but he himself turned back at the idols near Gilgal. So it seems as if Ehud is acting alone here. The others don't seem to be involved in his plot. He sent them away after giving tribute, but he he turns back to speak to the king further. May have been testing to see if he could get that weapon through. And Ehud said to the king, I have a secret message for you, O king. And he commanded silence. And all his attendants went out from his presence, verse 20. And Ehud came to him as he was sitting alone in his cool roof chamber. And Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. And he arose from his seat. He's closer to him. Put himself in a vulnerable position to hear this message from Ehud's God, verse 21. And Ehud reached with his left hand and he took the sword from his right thigh and thrust it into his belly and the hilt also went in after the blade and the fat closed over the blade and he, for he did not pull the sword out of his belly and the dung came out. Grotesque scene. But details are important. I'll show you. While... God's people Israel went to pay tribute to Moab. Ehud's plan was to kill the wicked king Eglon. And he was successful. He plunged that double-edged sword into that fat king and the blade was lost in the fat king's stomach. And we're told that the king's bowels emptied and he died. Welcome to Sunday morning. (laughs) A surprising move from an unconventional warrior that produced a grotesque scene that God is going to use to work in and through for his redemptive purposes. Details are important. I want you to know that. Nothing is is just thrown in there by accident. we got to pay attention to the details, though at times they sound strange. I know some of you are wondering why certain details are included here. I'll tell you, because God is going to work through this grotesque scene, to allow Ehud to escape and his people to be freed from the wicked Moabites. Look at verse 23. Then Ehud went out into the porch and closed the doors of the roof 
chamber behind him and locked them. When he had gone, the servants came, and when they saw the doors of the roof chamber were locked, they thought, surely he is relieving himself in the closet of the cool chamber. And they waited till they were embarrassed But when he still did not open the doors of the roof chamber, they took the key and opened them, and there lay their Lord dead on the floor. So the fact that the door was locked and probably the smell from the room kept the guards from going in to check on the king. They had the keys. They thought he was relieving himself and needed privacy, so they waited till the situation got embarrassing, and they opened the chamber to find him dead on the floor. Meanwhile, Ehud, the assassin, is gone, long gone. God is at work providentially for his purposes. Look at verse 26. Ehud escaped while they delayed, right? And he passed beyond the idols and escaped to Syrah. When he arrived, he sounded the trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim. Then the people of Israel went down with him from the hill country, and he was their leader. And he said to them, follow after me, for the Lord has given your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. So they went down after him and seized the fords of the Jordan against the Moabites and did not allow anyone to pass over. And they killed at that time about 10,000 of the Moabites, all strong, able-bodied men. Not a man escaped. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel and the land had rest for 80 years. So when they did wicked in the sight of the Lord second time, their time in captivity increased by 10. When they cried out to the Lord, He rescued them and increased their rest by 50 years. The grace of God is clearly seen in the book of Judges. The book of Judges is fundamentally a book of salvation rather than judgment. Do you know that? God even raises up a foreigner to provide relief for his people. We're almost finished. Look at verse 31. After Ehud was Shamgar. You ever heard a sermon on Shamgar? Me either. The son of Anath, who killed 600 of the Philistines with an ox goad, and he also saved Israel. Talk about an unlikely savior. Shamgar appears almost out of nowhere, and he, and he disappears just as quickly as he appears, but he does amazing things in, in, these, in this verse here, right? We're given very little background of Shamgar here, but we know that his name was not a Hebrew one, which is why many commentators don't believe he was an Israelite. Son of Anath had Canaanite origins, Anath was the false goddess of war. So some believe Shamgar's family were either Canaanites or they were Israelites that had become involved in worshiping the false gods surrounding them in some way. Maybe he was the product of a mixed marriage between Canaanite and Israelite. We know that was going on as well. Regardless of his background, God used him as an instrument for his judgment against the Philistines who were great enemies of Israel. We'll talk more about them when we get to Samson. We don't know if he miraculously killed all these Philistines at once or over time, but I believe it was probably miraculously at once. He did so with an ox goad, which was a long pointed stick used to prod reluctant animals. Okay? Shamgar reminds us of another 
unlikely savior that God will use to kill thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey, and that's Samson. Talk more about him in, in great detail later. But, but Shamgar is an unlikely savior that God used to save his people. But there's something here I want you to see that's significant. We made mention at the beginning of the sermon, God's people, they experienced periods of rest here that were long because of God's Savior, but they were not permanent. That's because their saviors, while effective, were not perfect. While they were used by God in their time, they were not perfect. They were sinners under the curse of sin who suffered the consequences for sin, which is death. They all died, and after their death, God's people turned away from following him because they were probably more following their leaders than they were God, and they turned away pretty quickly. It will happen over and over again. That's why they needed the Lord's leading. Because next point, earthly saviors are broken. People are in need of the Lord to lead because earthly saviors are broken. Othniel, for example, looks great on paper, right? Family of Caleb, tribe of kings, obedient and successful, great military leader. Here's the problem. Look at Judges 3.11. Then Othniel the son of Kenaz, died. Look at this quote by Barry Webb up on the screen. Rest can never be permanent in a world where death reigns. Othniel, for all his excellent qualities and all that God accomplished through him, was a fallen man in a fallen world and therefore could not bring permanent rest to God's people. For that, a greater Savior and a greater salvation was needed. Would that greater Savior and greater salvation come at the hands of Ehud? He delivered God's people from a longer enslavement and brought about an even longer period of peace, but he suffered the same problem as Othniel. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. God's people are in need of a true and better Savior, a perfect Savior. Praise be to God, that Savior has come in the person of Jesus Christ. That's why we need the Lord to lead us. People need the Lord to lead because sin is great, God's wrath is severe, God's grace is amazing, earthly saviors are broken, last point, because God's Savior has come and He is perfect. While Othniel brought God's people 30 years of peace and Ehud 80 years of peace for the work they accomplished in salvation, Jesus Christ, get this, He brings eternal peace for the work He accomplished through His life, death, and resurrection. When God's people, Israel, what they needed in order to enter into God's rest fully and completely and for all eternity was a leader who was perfect, one who would never die, one who could break the vicious cycle of sin and self-destruction by dealing with their sin once and for all. The good news for us, that leader has come. Beyond Othniel and Ehud, there is Jesus. And the question I want to leave you with today is, have you entered into the rest that He has provided? 
Have you entered into Christ's rest? Have you forsaken your sin? Are you trusting in Christ alone for your salvation today? If not, here's your invitation this morning. Turn from your sin, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and be saved. Let's pray together.